squibbit, squibbit, squirm. Cut it again. It's a Tori, Tori Amos reference. And I'm lost. You've lost me. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, any Tori fans. I swear I have we tried. Grew up at the same time. I saw her at Chastain Park and. Where's that? Do it. Where's Chastain Park? Uh, it's in the current city that we live in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Dustin Harder, and this is Keep On Cooking. Hello there, and welcome to Keep On Cooking, the podcast dedicated to plant-based cookbooks and learning more about the authors who wrote those cookbooks. I'm your host, Dustin Harder, and I'm so glad you're here listening today. I'm here with my husband and producer of the pod, David Rossetti. Say hello, Mr. Rossetti. Hello, everybody. It is me, Mr. Rossetti, (laughs) if you're nasty. If you're nasty, Mr. Rossetti. So we're going to dive right in here. We have a longer episode for you today. Yeah, Kate and Rich were uh, just so incredibly generous with their time. They they really were. And full disclosure, this was the very first episode we ever recorded. Yeah, yeah. So we were kind of uh, finding our way with our new equipment. Uh, uh-huh. I think there's a few times Dustin uh, hit the microphone with his hand, or there's some kind of like... <laughs> yeah, there, there definitely are some moments of first-timery in this, and uh, for sure you'll notice the structure isn't necessarily as tight, but I will say it's longer and worth every minute. Yeah, I mean, these, t- these two people individually are so smart, uh-huh. and then as a team oh my are gosh. like mind-blowing yeah yeah they really are in the food world but in general they are just high vibe sort of people so i'm grateful to know them and and listen if the episode is too long for you make it a two-parter that's the best part of podcast you can stop and pick up again whenever you want well and you guys um start right in by giving a behind the scenes of another food network show which is hilarious (laughs) yes chopped rich is a chopped winner and we spill the tea on that which makes it two weeks in a row with some behind the scenes glimpses first with natalie slater of bacon destroy last week and now rich of course yeah and i love i'm I'm a Chopped fan, so I love the behind-the-scenes look uh, at the food reality shows like Chopped, and for him to have won as a vegan is, is yeah, incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the behind-the-scenes look, too, but we, we dive into so much more, including Rich's first culinary endeavors with his restaurant Horizons back in 1994, and how Kate and Rich met, and their partnership has blossomed into arguably one of the most influential and talked-about vegan restaurants in the United States, Veg in Philadelphia. Yeah, I, I very distinctly remember when you and I first met, and we would travel, and I would always look up vegan restaurants for you, and Veg always popped up as like one of the top uh vegan restaurants in like the entire usa on like google that's true and they also have v street in philadelphia now as well and fancy radish in dc we actually feature veg and v street in two different episodes of the vegan roadie so you can check those out at veganroadie.com under the show tab yeah and while you admitted to your love or one might say obsession of reba mcintyre this episode was technically the first time it's mentioned oh yes it's true i i 
we have said it by now, but then we thought this this was actually the first time. But we could have edited this down, but the truth is, it was recorded in late May, and Corona was still feeling very, very fresh, and we have some meaningful conversation on that. So I thought it was important to keep. I also learned what Salsify is. <laughs> Rich tells us all about it and so many other things. Yeah, and, and the best part of these two and their books is their ability to take these kind of complex restaurant terms or, or terminology and, and put them into the books that are approachable for the home cooks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And their love of travel is infused into their cooking so much. They even tell us their top three favorite travel destinations, and we get the scoop on their next book towards the end of the episode, which is very, very exciting. So why don't you tell the listeners uh, who are Rich and Kate? Yes, why don't I? Husband and wife team Richard Landau and Kate Jacoby are the chefs and owners of Philadelphia's renowned vegetable restaurant, Veg. In recent years, they have grown their restaurant group to include their street food bar, V Street, as well as their latest effort, Fancy Radish, in Washington, D.C. Chef Rich Landau is a pioneer of the modern plant-based dining experience, opening his first restaurant, Horizons, in 1994. Winner of Food Network's Chopped, Landau has used the carnivore's palate he grew up with to translate vegan cuisine to a broader audience. In 2019, Landau and Jacoby cooked the first vegan meal ever served at the James Beard House in Manhattan. And in uh, 2011, they opened up Veg. Uh, the restaurant we we're just talking about in an elegant center city Philadelphia brownstone to national acclaim. Uh, in 2016, Veg was awarded a four bell review by Philadelphia oh, Enquirer. Oh, ding, 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 four bells. Clang, clang, clang went the Philadelphia bell. That's right. Um, uh, review by the Philadelphia Enquirer restaurant critic Craig Laban, the highest possible rating for a restaurant. Uh, Chef Rich Landau has been a finalist multiple times for the James Beard Foundation's Best Chef Mid-Atlantic, as well as twice being named Best Chef in Philadelphia by Philadelphia Magazine. And Chef Kate Jacoby studied French and sociology at Georgetown. In 2001, she switched gears to join Landau at Horizons. Her work in the kitchen alongside Landau helped hone her pastry skills and shaped her approach towards desserts, which is so awesome. We hear all about it in this interview. A James Beard-nominated pastry chef and a certified sommelier. That word has taken me so long to be able to say. David can attest to that. Sommelier. Sommelier, man. It just it because it looks like sommelier. Yeah, but then when you say it now, right, it actually looks like it sounds. Yeah. Right? Well, uh, yeah. But it's still got, it's like a lot of M's. It's like restaurateur. Anyway, getting back to it, her <laughs> recent focus also includes overseeing the beverage program at all their restaurants and directing expansion for the restaurant group overall. And of course, they have four cookbooks all modeled after their restaurants. The first two are from Horizons, the Horizons Cookbook Gourmet Meatless Cuisine, and then also Horizons New Vegan Cuisine. But the ones we're going to focus on here today are Veg, 100 Plates Large and Small That Redefine vegetable cooking and their current V Street 100 globe hopping plates on the cutting edge of vegetable cooking. I'm so excited for you, dear listeners, to get a glimpse into the minds of Rich Landau and Kate Jacoby. They certainly are food heroes to me, and now you'll know why. We watched your episode of Chop this morning. We hadn't watched it. Actually, David had seen it previously. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Bless you in that honey debacle, my friend. Well, 
What do you think of that, man? Because I, I only got hate mail from one hardcore vegan about that. Listen, um, that's bound to be what's going to happen. I've had this conversation with, because um, I just did a Food Network show this uh, last year. I, I competed on it. It was a Girl Scout cookie championship. And, oh, um, sweet. Well, awesome. and I w- when they called me, it was, you know, I've been back and forth talking to them. And like, I was just, you know how that goes. All this back and forth and like talking about animal products and stuff. And um, they... They they were like, well, there's vegan Girl Scout cookies, and I was like, okay, great. But then even in my brain, I'm like, except for like the real haters who are gonna tell me that like, well, they're not vegan because what kind of sugar did they use and blah blah blah. Right. Um, exactly. And I had these conversations with people as I've traveled and been like, hey, you know, so and so is talking to me about this. Like, what would you do? Because even thinking about like Food Network star, like, there's no way to do that show as a vegan because it's no no they why well, I, I even told them going into it i said you know listen i'm not gonna let you guys embarrass me as like right. the first person out because i want to cook meat I, I don't even know how to cook meat me and neither i said listen it was like a wink wink nudge nudge like we have a special episode just for you don't worry about it we're not going to make you compromise but they, they threw the honey in and i'm thinking to myself oh my god these guys don't realize right now for me i don't care about honey i don't I've never liked honey in my life. Sure. It's never an issue. I don't think about honey. I had the same, same. I'm the same. um, Yeah. It's not important to me at all. So it's not like I even have a controversy. So I'm like, Oh my God, what do I do? Um, And uh, you know, so I kind of channeled all these like, you know, vegan, you know, voices I know that I respect. And they said, listen, you got to go for it. There's no, there's no glory in bailing out and like stopping the episode. Right. um, and, And making it all weird. Like go in there, kill them and win. And, um, and then you get your message out to a lot of people. You get your message so. out, you win. And that's the thing too. It was kind of like, it, had they sprung meat or something on you? That's a whole different story. Oh, that'd you know? be different. Yeah. I'd have to stop it. Yeah, and say, I can't, I can't go any further. Yeah. What can you do? And that was the conversation I had. I was up for, um, great American food truck race once. And there was, I was watching it trying to, cause I'd never watched the show. So I was like, okay, what happens here? And there was one where they switched the contestants. Like you had to go to the other person's truck uh, yep. and cook and serve their food. And I, again, called up some vegans I respected and was like, what do I do? Like, what is this? They were like, if you make it that far and they have prepped all those ingredients and I still don't know, what do you do when you're actually in the position? But this person was like, do it. Because if that means you're going to get to the next episode and that's the one non-vegan thing you had to do to get to the end line and you had the word vegan like over and over, like out there, like that's a plus. Exactly. So it's just- That's the way I see it. Man, it's a hard decision. Um, the- That's the way I see it. You got to get the word out there and you got to you gotta get out there and not embarrass yourself, which would therefore embarrass the cause right and right you make an impression and um i just tried my best to do that uh you know it's funny because i they they even pulled me aside after that they said it, like if you really watch the show you could see that i'm hesitating with the honey thing yeah. and like kind of tapping my fingers on the table but that lasted for about 10 minutes into the half hour i had i'm like what do i do what do i do before i started so they they edited it and then you know, they finally pulled me aside after it. They're like, "Did you have a problem with the honey?" I'm like, "Yeah, I have a problem with the honey. It's, it's vegan. You're making, you're try, you guys are trying to sell entertainment by making me look like an idiot yeah. out there." And uh, you know, they apologized and they said they didn't know. But looking back now, I think they absolutely knew. Sure, and they were trying to throw in some have a little moment. I agree. You think they did it purposely? Then, yeah, I do. Oh, yeah. I, I think, think so. Yeah, absolutely. Spent so much time interviewing you ahead of time, and yes. I think they probably asked you a question like, "Is there anything that you do eat that's not vegan?" And you probably said something along the lines of like, 
some vegans don't care too much about honey and they were probably like, that's it. That's our angle. <laughs> that's <laughs> it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's so funny you say that because now that I look back, uh, when I did the Girl Scout Cookie Championship one, when they, I had my final call with one of the producers and you know that moment, it's like, you basically got it. We're just doing this one last interview to make sure. And they were like, so have you ever made a double barrel cake? And I was like, no. And I was like, and at this point, I was kind of, I, I was over it. I was like, you're going to do this with me or you're not. And I don't have time to like get worked up about it. Like, it's cool if you don't, you know, so I'm not going to. Yeah. And I said straight up, I said, I'm not going to lie to you and look like a fool on TV. I haven't done a double barrel cake. And they were like, oh, that's no problem. Guess what I had to do? I had to make a double barrel cake. So I don't even know what a double barrel cake is. Oh, my gosh. It's three layers on top uh-huh. of another three layers. So essentially a six-layer oh, cake. But you've got to gotcha. hold it up with, like, straws and stuff in yeah, the With bottom. dowel rods and stuff. Yeah, or... yeah, all that good stuff. So anyway, the interesting thing, sorry to go on about the Food Network thing. It was just a great episode, and you're great to watch on TV. And, oh, okay. you know, the honey thing, I think, was actually handled really well on your end because at least it was discussed. It wasn't – they actually let you talk mm-hmm. about it as opposed to just – just like glossing over it, which I thought was totally. great. And that helped educate people, which was so cool. Um, yeah. But then also I was annoyed at the one judge being like, this just, I just want a steak now. This, this is looking like a steak and it's not a that steak. That was Alex Caricelli. So the, <laughs> the other weird thing, now you've probably seen this by being on the Food Network. They edit the hell out of this stuff. Yeah. And um, she actually loved all the food. I, I went in there afraid of her. I, d- I sure. do not like her television personality. I don't like her demeanor. I you don't and like I. the way she goes about anything. She is one of my least favorite people. Um, and yet she, she loved all the food. She, they, they only like edited in, you know, some criticism to make it look fair. And it's funny, you know, cause I, all, I also wanted to make sure that they never caught me in an uh oh moment. Like, yep. I can't believe I did that. So I try to keep like smiling and nodding my head and, and make sure they never had a moment of me being in shock. And yeah. yet they did capture like one tiny moment, which they threw in there at that moment. So uh, it's just, it's completely edited to death. Chop yeah, should be you. the name of the editing room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One for person's sure. job to like look through all of it and only like, you know, highlight or, or like put a little, you know, post it on the spots where you're making a funny face that could be used. <laughs> Let's do, I've got the icebreaker question for you guys. What is one thing most people don't know about you? One thing most people don't know about me. I am a golf addict. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I've, I've started to come, come out about this recently because, um, <laughs> you know, there's this, you know, there's one preconceived notion about being a vegan chef, but there's a whole nother preconceived notion about being a golfer like oh you mean you're a douchebag <laughs> no no I'm I, I grew up with golf you know oh, and um funny. it's been in my family forever I grew up with it ever since I was seven years old I used to work on a golf course I loved it so much for years wow. I was a uh, uh in charge of golf course maintenance at several courses and that was almost my career believe it or not um I was one step away from gr- going to this like turf grass management school and being wow. this professional golf course superintendent um, but to this day, I still love the game. It is, I play alone. It's my me time, my Zen time. Nice. It's where I get into my head and clear my head and I'm around nature. And, um, it's, it's like four hours a week all for me. And I love it. Well, uh, Kate, what's uh one thing that most people don't know about you? I am not a very exciting person. I don't have like <laughs> awesome, exciting secrets to share. I, <laughs> um, the the only thing that catches people off guard is when I tell them that I am a huge Guns N' Roses fan. 
See, now there we go. Wouldn't have known that. that and that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I, I loved them in like middle school and high school. And in the, I really got into them right as they were disbanding and like saying they would never play together again. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. I was maybe like 14 or something at that time. And uh, then when I heard that they were getting back together to do a tour, I'm like pulling Rich on the arm. I'm like, oh my gosh, we have to go. <laughs> and the opening night concert was in Vegas. And I'm like, Rich, I know this sounds really weird because they have tour dates scheduled to come to Philadelphia, but I don't trust that Axel will behave himself. Oh and my I gosh. don't think they're going to do this tour. We have to go to Vegas. We have to see them. And so we did. And it was incredibly elaborate and like ridiculous because uh, they did come to Philly that summer and they came to Hershey like <laughs> – later so we've now seen them what like three times in concert i guess yeah it was a great show that's amazing but the thing is that they're so sort of misogynistic in their lyrics and you know the show has like even the show has stuff that i don't really like as my current self but there's just something about my angsty (laughs) middle school years i was gonna say it resonates with you the past nostalgic nostalgic parts of it uh what's your favorite guns and roses song I, it's like Rich's cooking. I love them all. Um, oh my God. I love it. <laughs> but uh, in concert, Coma was pretty great. So I, I don't even know that song. It's a great one. See, you got to go listen to their music. Ah, <laughs> is that, was that a single or is that like a, a hidden gem? Uh, it was one of like every song on the Usual Illusion albums are fantastic. Um, but this one, I guess, yeah, they never like made a video or, or did too much with that song, but it's very powerful. I love it. Okay. Well, I mean, it's, it's, that's actually a very interesting fact. The thing that people, I'm also going to answer the question. One thing most people yes, don't know about it? me is that I am a huge Reba McIntyre fan. Wow. wow. So, that's awesome. <laughs> now, Excellent. now listen. Wow. I did not expect that. See, <laughs> you said Guns N' Roses three times. I've seen Reba in concert 27 times. Oh, oh my God. It's a little, little fanatical. It was how my wow. mother and I connected when I was in uh, middle school and high school. She would take me to her concerts um, and theaters in my background. And that's sort of how I got uh, into theater was because her shows were all theatrical in the 90s and everything. But anyways... Wow, you just made my day, Dustin. That is incredible. (laughs) A little tidbit there. Um, Now, I want to go back. We just did a demo uh, that, for people who haven't seen it, it's on the Vegan Roadie YouTube channel. Um, We're, everyone, we're we're during, this is going to come out in June or July. We're in the corona, corona, uh, corona ages right now, corona days right now. And uh, so we're all isolated and everything. And Rich and Kate were so kind to do a live demo. Um, And we've got that up on the Vegan Roadie YouTube channel. But I'm going into that because Kate... At the end of it, the best thing, um, one of the best thing, you guys said a lot of great things, but you sort of end it by saying, you know, let's take this time to pause and think about the meaning that you want to have in your life and the kind of person you want to be and let's be kind to each other. You know, when you guys are pausing and thinking right now, what what is sort of, I don't know, I just thought that was a great thing to end it on and I want to pick up there, you know, in re- in, in looking inward right now, what, what are some things that you guys have gained perspective on? Well, I, another thing that's sort of a secret about me, I love to read post-apocalyptic stories, and like social science fiction. And what I've decided that I like about them is not the doom and gloom and the violence that they portray a lot, but it's the ultimate human values that triumph in the end. The things that really, really matter to you. And when you read these scary stories, you kind of put yourself in these positions and say, what would you do? So I think that it's an interesting moment where right now, Some of us are really struggling. Some of us are going on like nothing's changed. And a lot of us are somewhere in the middle with a lot of question marks and fear and anxiety. And I think that what Rich and I are trying to do is 
distill all of this down to like, where do we want to be five years from now, two years from now? You know, we don't, we can't answer a lot of questions, but what do we want to be when we come out? How do we want our son to feel about us? How do we want our staff to feel about us? How do we want the community that we've served for so long to feel about us? We can't promise to be more than we are, but at the end of the day, you know, if we say, how do we want to feel about ourselves? Do we want to be looking back, thinking we could have done more, we should have done more, were we reckless? So I think if you answer those questions with, again, those basic human values of what's important to you, honesty, hard work, positivity, love, kindness, all those things, like that's what you want to come through at the end of this. So you just have to figure out what is it in your life that you know, you can demonstrate those things. And and for, for me, I'm, I'm just reading so much about the animal agricultural industry and the, the devastation, the horror that's happening right now with animals being euthanized, with all this sort of just mass sadness, you know, people aren't, this is genocide. I mean, it's always been genocide, but right now it's like everything is grinding to this crazy halt and people just see it, like people who aren't tuned in, or just like, whatever, yeah, they're dumping milk and they're humanely slaughtering chickens. But, you know, we who have been paying attention to this for a long time recognize this and see what it is. And I just hope, I really hope that the plant-based movement will continue full force. And this is a moment where we can rethink, this is a reset button for that industry. Can we come out of it in a way that is transformative? And I feel like that ripple effect would be amazing to see. Uh Rich, in, in perspective right now, are we sharing the same perspective as Kate? Are you reading books? What are you What are you doing? What are you hoping? Well, I go on and off again with reading the news. I, uh, I'm in a stage right now where I'm, you know, we've always been told you are what you eat. Um, but I'm also going through this uh, stage that, you know, I'm kind of realizing you are what you think and you are what you take in. You know, if you eat junk food all day long and sugar all day long, you're going to feel that certain way. I also feel that if you watch too much reality TV, which is also the news, or um, if you watch too much of, you know, really what's going on in the world, because it's a terribly, terribly sad thing that's happening. It's very depressing. You're you're gonna you're gonna affect your mind. It's basically it's poison for the mind. Sure. So I'm trying to take it in doses. I don't want to be ignorant. I don't want to live under a rock. But I am trying to just kind of take it in small doses, so I know what's going on, but then find a day at a time, maybe a few days at a time where I am just filling my mind with beautiful thoughts of, you know, good things in life, nature, um, things that make me happy, things that, um, are going to, you know, make, make my brain and my spirit healthy for what I'm taking in. And I think that's very important because, you know, I think when you, um, especially when you take animal products out of, uh, your body, you realize how much your body and mind actually do work together because the the most surprising effects of veganism that most people never see coming is that your mind becomes much more clear mm-hmm. and um, all sorts of things. Your thoughts become different. You're, you're not eating blood. You're not eating murder. You're not eating the process of which, you know, we talked about this last time, I think during the uh, the demo, the process of gathering vegetables for your dinner is much different than the process of gathering meat. And you consume that process, and therefore it becomes part of your mind, and it's toxic. Um, and you know, I, I think that's really important um, to you know to to kind of explore and really honor, you know, keeping your mind clear and free. And also, you know, to that extent, you know, 
not not taking everything for granted. I, you know, when the the electricity goes off and you walk in a room and you flip the light switch anyway, right? You know, right. <laughs> you, uh, you, you know the power's out, but five times you will flip that light switch. <laughs> sure. To well, you know, so we're going through that now. We're like, okay, nothing to do today. Hey, let's go out to. Oh no, wait a second. Oh, maybe I can play golf at. Okay, yep. well. Hey, how about Six Flags? No, you, and you realize that you never really needed these things. Yeah. I don't need restaurants. I don't need bars. Sure. I don't need golf. I don't need theme parks. I don't need concerts. These things I love. They're very important to me, but I don't need them to survive. And um, I think that, you know, here's another <laughs> confession about something never people don't know is that I love Jimmy Buffett. Um, Rio has been to yeah. a Jimmy Buffett concert <laughs> every year of his life. And now he's not. He's not the deepest guy in the world. He's probably only got like eight great songs. But sure. if you go to his concert, he is the best anxiety medicine you could ever take in yeah. your life. And uh, I don't believe in medicine, but I do believe in a Jimmy Buffett concert once a year. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's like a I vacation. But he's he's got this great line in one of his songs that says, need is a relative thing. It borders on desire. And I think it's really important at a yeah. time like this that we think about what do you really need? What do you think you need? What do you want? And what's really important to survive in this life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hey, did you see the uh, Jimmy Buff, the Margaritaville musical? No, I haven't gone that far. <laughs> Do you I'm think not that's that a shame? Do you think that shouldn't have happened? Are you like blasphemy? You know, I don't know. I have you seen it? I don't no, know. No, I didn't. I I I heard it. It didn't go over well, basically. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Um, I uh, you know, he's got the restaurants and alcohol the... during the show. I, I you know, I they should have been. That's for sure. My goodness. Well, <laughs> we're talking about you know where we are now, what you're thinking right now, and perspective during this time. However, I want to get back to where Kate and Rich came from. I want to know, you know. Where, where were you guys both born in Philadelphia? Are you born and raised yep. there? Philadelphia suburbs, yeah. All right, okay, for both of you. So then, at what point? I mean, what was what was cooking? When did that come into your world? Is that both childhood things for you? I mean, you know, speak whoever wants to go first. But curious how cooking started in your life. Mitch, you go. You were born first. <laughs> <laughs> she said that. Yeah. Well. She could have said I was born way first. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I was born way first. Um, yeah, cooking has been a part of my life forever. And I remember, unfortunately, many of my childhood memories center around uh, animals being eaten. But that is also what put me on my path to say, well, I love the taste, but I'm not going to eat them. So sure. let me get those tastes into what I'm going to be doing with my cooking. But um, no, my my mom was a very creative cook. Uh, she, she kind of really stepped outside the box and broke some barriers. Uh, but we, we, we got a grill and we would grill up all sorts of stuff with barbecue sauce. Uh, we got a, a wok in the eighties and we started, you know, kind of doing all these stir fries. Um, I had home ec class and, um, in seventh grade. And then, you know, at that time, I don't know if they do that these days, but you had to have a baking course and I loved it, man. I come home with these recipes for like biscuits and funnel cake and, and, um, all these like breads and rolls and I, I bake them at home. I, I thought it was wonderful. And, um, and then I started being creative. Like we'd eat something in a restaurant and I'd come home and I want to try to make that myself. So food was always a huge part of my life and I loved eating. So, um, and I loved, I just loved the whole process. I loved cooking and bring it to the table and watching people enjoying it. And, uh, you know, it's never left. So even when I wasn't cooking professionally, I was always cooking. I just loved it. Well, and when did, did you go to culinary school or did you go right into restaurant work? Like when did it streamline into becoming a profession for you? 
I never went to culinary school because, uh, you know, I considered it, but when you really look at it, there was nothing they could have offered me back then. I, I knew sure. what I needed to do needed to be invented. Um, it, you know, they, they would have taught me all sorts of things I didn't want to know, which is how to cook and butcher meat and all right. that kind of stuff. Um, and their vegetable courses were it, basically non-existent right. back then. They taught you how to boil Brussels sprouts yep. and all that. Um, <laughs> What, what they could have taught me to get a head start on, I guess, was knife skills, but I, I learned that fairly quickly. So when I first started in the restaurant business, I was a bartender for years. Okay. Um, after I stopped working on the golf course. I can see that. I can see yeah, Rich the bartender. You can, I'm, I'm still pretty good. Yeah, I can see No, that. I don't make any modern cocktails. I still make like, you know, melon balls and sex on the beach and all that <laughs> stuff. Sure. No, I'm kidding. I, I that stuff's <laughs> a hangover in a glass. But um. I, uh, you know, when I stopped working on the golf course, I'd come home exhausted with a headache every day at three o'clock. And I'm like, well, this isn't good for my social life. Sure. And so I said, I'd become a bartender. And um, I did go to bartending school since I had no experience. But what I found was I was constantly in the kitchen talking to the cooks and I was cooking stuff with them and I was getting all these, oh, that's how you do that tricks from them. Uh-huh. And I got a ton of experience indirectly in these kitchens so much so to the point where I thought I could do it on my own. And that's when I kind of set out to do it. Wow. And that is that you set out to do it. Like when you say that you set out, then you're like, I'm going to open a restaurant or you start. Well, it was a cafe. Uh, what I was going to do was a food truck. Um, gotcha. I, I was literally days away from putting a deposit down on a food truck. Uh, I had the vehicle to tow it. I had wow. a menu planned. I had um, uh, the food truck, by the way, was going to be called Horizons as well. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah. And um, for those listening, Horizons was, so that was the first restaurant endeavor, cafe, then you're saying. That was the Horizons first one. Yeah. Cafe. But yep. as I was, um, you know, a few days away from buying it, I walked down to this health food store near where I lived and the setup was so good. They had a little cafe in there they weren't using. I'm like, wait a second, that could be ah. awesome. I could actually, what if they would let me cook in here? Um, you know, I didn't have a lot of money, so I could only put out a little bit to get set up. She said, well, unfortunately we're closing, but it's so strange you're in here. I have a friend in Willow Grove who has got the same setup. They're having some trouble. They really need someone to get in there and run their cafe. I went up to see him and uh, next thing you know, I was I was open like two months later. Wow, April first, nineteen ninety four, in uh, in Nature's Harvest in Willow Grove. So that was my first little cafe. And I look back and like I I had to really make a lot of mistakes to learn from them. Sure, my first menu was huge. It had like forty things on it. <laughs> it oh, it's ridiculous. Oh, it's so embarrassing. But um, I learned, and I I could afford to learn back then because I could only serve fifteen twenty people at a time. Sure. And um and I grew and grew from there. It's it's not what I would do if I could go back and do it again, but I think I had to do it that way at that point. Now, did you uh, when you say forty items when you were going to do the food truck as well? Is that the menu you had for the food truck? Did you have forty items for the food truck? It was going to be a huge menu for the food truck, oh and gosh. that would have been an absolute disaster because. You know, when you're in a food truck and yeah. people are sitting there on the sidewalk, you need that food now. Yeah. You know, and I was going to start to make all this like stuff from scratch. And <laughs> I, wow. I would have had a line around the block and people like, oh, this must be good. It's like, no, he's really slow. <laughs> <laughs> were they popular? Like in the 90s, were food trucks a thing then? I don't because yeah, I was from Michigan and I was from a small area. So I didn't, I didn't, we didn't 
there wasn't food wasn't really isn't really a thing there in general where I was. Oh at. yeah, they were, they were all over Philadelphia at this point. Okay, okay. And um, so there's one huge problem, and I guess this is for anyone who knows Philly well. That right around the in the early '90s, they basically put a moratorium on any new food truck going in from um, River to River, which is our Schuylkill to the Delaware, and Vine Street to South Street which is basically the heart of center city. So oh. they said it was getting too saturated. <laughs> so if you're already there, you can stay. Oh, geez. So this basically meant you had to go to one of the college campuses like Temple or Drexel, which I was fine with. I sat there. I basically went in my car and I sat at uh, these college campuses for like hours each day. I would just sit there and watch everyone. I'd watch the food trucks. I'd watch the traffic. I'd see what they're ordering and how long it all took. Uh, I was really ready to do this. Yeah, it, yeah. It, but I, again, it's food. I, I'm happy you didn't. I think that everything happened in the universe for a reason for you at that cafe, for sure. Oh, maybe. Yeah, I guess. Well, hey, listen, if it took me all up to meeting Kate, I would do it all over I again. love that. I love that. Speaking of, Miss Kate, your history, your path with food. When did it all start with food for you? I mean, it's funny because right now, Rich and I, when we eat at home, we love it. We savor it. We like, you know, it's it's a thing. It's an event. It could be like leftovers for lunch and it's somehow this event for us. And then our son will just kind of pick at his food and <laughs> talk his way through his meals. And we're like, how are you our child? <laughs> <laughs> I have always enjoyed food and um, just growing up my household, like riches, like we had a lot of cooking going on and my grandmother, my mom's mom moved into our house when we, when I was about 10 and she did a lot of baking and I was along for the ride. And then we had some other family members, my aunt Teresa, who, when we would visit her house for holidays, oh my God, the food was amazing. I mean, she just cooked, she was Italian. So it was okay. a blood relationship. I don't have any Italian, but I mean, her cooking was amazing. And the funny thing is there's a lot of Polish in my family. So pierogies were like this huge, huge thing, especially over Christmas. Um, and the potato salad from Easter. So like, it was like, just a lot of really great food things. Most of it was baking early on for me. And I think that's how lots of kids get into it. Like Rich said, you're following a recipe. So it's like you can test things and see that they work and then feel good about it and then sure. have confidence. So I did a lot of baking. Um, and then when I was in my mid-teens, uh, I guess about 16 then, um, I wanted to become vegetarian. And that meant, okay, well, baking was already vegetarian, but the cooking part was obviously going to need some work. So about 16 years old, as I'm investigating this and, and trying to, to do this for myself, um, lo and behold, or not too far, about 10 minutes drive from my house was this wonderful restaurant called Horizons Cafe. So <laughs> I could go there and there was this guy working by himself behind the counter and he had this ponytail and an earring and he wore these like yes. stuff pants. And I was like, huh, who's that? And I heard his, <laughs> anyway, I'm watching him back there and I, he's like an octopus. He's just doing a million things. And I see him reach his hand into this bucket and pull out pasta noodles that had already been cooked. And he puts them into a pan. And I was like, that's interesting. So like, I was just, I, I didn't have a path to go into food or anything, but I obviously was very interested in it and very curious about it. Um, and, you know, when I would go to Horizons Cafe, it was just this way to like, really double down on the idea of like, I can do this. I can be vegetarian. This will be easy. I can eat so well at this place. Like, come on, there's no reason not to be. And then when I went into college, um, I discovered veganism. So about 18 years old, I just sort of understood a little bit more about, you know, what plant-based eating should be all about. Um, and I guess by being in college, I had to 
live my first year on campus, uh, first two years actually. So that was a lot more like, okay, I'm fending for myself. The meal plan is not going to work for me. And, you know, learning to cook in a home kitchen, I got an apartment my third and final year and cooked and cooked and cooked. And that was an interesting experience because I started to improvise more with cooking and, um, you know, trying to do some of the things that I had growing up in, in more vegan ways. And, um, so that was really interesting, but then, um, when I graduated, I was supposed to go, it was May of 2001. I was getting ready to graduate and I was going to go teach English in France in the fall. And that summer I wanted to line up a job. So I went to my favorite restaurant, Horizons Cafe, and I knocked on the door and I asked if they were hiring. Um, and Rich actually answered the door. It was between lunch and dinner, I think. And, uh, they were hiring. They needed somebody to, to host that summer. So, um, I kind of quickly snapped up the position and got to work right away, right after graduation. And uh, I, I obviously had this interest in cooking and I was like, could I learn? You know, like I would watch back there and it just looked like magic. Um, you know, I would see him cooking on the grill and like he'd reach with his bare hands and like turn the asparagus. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, he's like the magician. How is he doing all this? So I, I asked if they ever need help with prepping and, um, sure enough, there was an opening. So I started a little bit of prep and, and, you know, obviously I was comfortable in a home kitchen and I was, you know, with prep jobs, I could infiltrate (laughs) the professional kitchen. And, uh, then eventually, you know, long story short, um, started cooking with Rich on the line and cooked alongside him for a long time. Um, eventually when I, then there's a need on the front of house, I would get pulled to the front of house, but I learned so much working alongside of him. And those were like, it was hard work, but it was also so much fun. He would like make little snacky sandwiches and stuff. It was, it was like amazing. So how did this happen? Kate and Rich, how did it happen? Like when, you know, give me the dirt. Like, were you like, Hey, 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 Oh, we're working alongside each other. Maybe a date sometime. (laughs) Like how'd this go down? You know, it's something that if it happened today would be so inappropriate and so wrong. Um, if we were working for other people, we would have been separated and we would have been, you know, dispersed to different, you know, departments and all that. No, it was, it was completely wrong, but, um, it was something that happens a lot in our business. We just, um, we were really into each other and we tried to hide it so well from the staff. And when they finally found out, they're like, yeah, duh. I yeah. mean, you guys, you guys can't hide anything. It was pathetic the way you guys would just look at each other all day long. Oh, you know? <laughs> so, how funny. But um, no, we started uh, we started uh, hanging out after work for a little bit. We'd have a drink. Okay. And, you, know, you know how those things go. You don't want the details, do yeah. you? <laughs> I mean, I do. We can save it for another time. Uh, okay. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, it's so interesting. I just, I've been thinking about the two of you. You're such a great team. So I was just kind of in my brain, I'm thinking, well, at what point, you know, were they like, hey, this is more than work? You know what I mean? Oh, it was literally the first night. Um, <laughs> I, I said that it was like right before graduation that I, uh, you know, went looking for a job. And I remember getting called in because someone had called out. That's what I learned very quickly. That's what happens in restaurants. Yeah. I think it was that first night, like I bust tables. Um, and at the end of the night, some, one of the uh, servers, I think was celebrating their birthday and they brought a bottle of tequila. So a couple of people stayed after work. It, it's been a while. My memory's a little fuzzy, but, um, you know, we, there were like four of us, rich me and like two other people just kind of hanging out and talking. And I remember 
like just kind of falling in love with this guy. Cause here's this man who had been cooking food that I'd been enjoying for years and years. So I already held this restaurant in the highest regard. Sure. I love this. Very special to me. Um, but I didn't really know him. I just kind of had seen him from behind the counter cooking. And then all of a sudden I'm hanging out with him and I'm just like mesmerized because it, there's like, it's more than food. Like this guy was awesome. Yeah. Like he's funny and fun and smart. And like, somehow we're all talking about politics. I, I think Cuba, like the discussion of Cuba was one of the first things that we were all talking about. So it was <laughs> a good icebreaker, isn't it? Me. <laughs> Maybe we're drinking rum. I don't know. <laughs> right. Oh, I love it's my well, best pickup line, Cuba. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it worked. It worked. Uh, what? Uh, and then, Kate, you've got, I mean, you're the pastry queen, the dessert queen. So when did it move into your cooking along, Rich? And then when did you start moving into dessert land and exploring that more with these restaurants? So I think I am also not, you know, professionally trained. I never went to pastry school. Um, work, you know, I had obviously baked mainstream things from home for a long time. And I, I developed kitchen skills by working in the kitchen. What I most learned was conceptualizing a dish. I think working alongside Rich, I learned so much about what's important in the dish, how it looks when it hits your table. Um, you know, the, the balance of textures and flavors being so important. Uh, I really just approached food, you know, and so, um, understanding like what makes it so delicious and also how do you execute it in a kitchen for, for volume. So at the time there was a pastry chef who was traveling a long distance and you know, she was clearly becoming a little bit burned out. And uh, I saw this window and she really didn't want to be doing it anymore. So I said, if she could just teach me some basics about the baking of vegan cakes and whatnot, I could jazz them up with these amazing flavors and I'd make great sauces and maybe I could figure out ice creams. So she gave me a couple little recipes and I got to work and just did so much trial and error. And I found a couple things that worked well for me. Um, I knew that I'm not the most patient person, so I, I wasn't necessarily oh, going well, to. We should join a club. <laughs> oh, I'm the worst. But, but a couple basic things like that kind of taught me my foundation. So it was making ice cream, making creme brulee and custards, making cheesecake, um, making pie crusts that could translate into other kind of tart shells and stuff. And beyond that, it was flavors. That was really where I felt like I could contribute the most. So if I could nail some of the basic foundations, then I could get creative. And I think one of the strengths that Rich and I have always enjoyed is that when you dine at our restaurants, it's a seamless experience that everything makes sense. You know, you go to some restaurants where you have the chef and then there's the pastry chef sure. and they're very different and it's like disjointed because you have this amazing experience and then boom, it's like a different restaurant. Um, so I think that's something that works for us very well because it's this, you know, people who dine at our restaurants always get dessert. It's mm -hmm. like, it, it just makes sense and, and they can't avoid it. And it's a great it, part of the experience. So. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I can't imagine going to one of your restaurants and not getting dessert because it is, it's all, it's, it's an all inclusive experience. You've got to have a, a something from every category. Let's, let's get onto the books, shall we? Uh, sure. after all, it's a podcast about books. So let's talk about, um, I've got, you know, I don't have the horizons cookbooks. So there's two of them. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. We'll send them to you. Oh, amazing. I would love to have them because I'm obsessed with these two with veg and V street, of course. Um, and were the dishes at horizon, are they, are they similar in terms of, 
are, are they, I'm assuming all vegetable forward, just like veg and V street, everything like that. Was it vegetarian back then or was it vegan as well? When it, when it first opened up, it was vegetarian. Um, we had, there was a lot of sandwiches. So I basically, you know, keep in mind, this is 94. The word vegan was unheard of sure. back then. Um, so we had a choice of cheese on, on the sandwiches and we did use an organic dairy cheese and we used a, um, a soy cheese, soya cost back then, which was the only game in town, My but goodness. that also had casein in it. So it wasn't really vegan. Um, but once, once veganism started to become a thing, I started to have really unlikely people come in that were vegans, you know, like, you know, there's, there's the kids from colleges, but there's also baby boomers and there's all sorts of people that started to use the word vegan. I'm like, wait a second, this is a thing. And it made it really easy to transition right out of the, uh, the dairy because it, it was, it was a conflict for a lot of people The the vegetarians loved it because vegetarians love cheese. Sure. But to me, that's the worst diet on the planet. Um, the, uh, you know, so it was easy to do that. Um, were, were the dishes the same? Well, if you tasted the dishes back then and you tasted our dishes now, you'd see that they came from the same brain. Um, but I thought they were a lot different. Um, it, it was more casual at first. I will say that the most elaborate food we ever did was um, there's three incarnations in Willow Grove as we moved down the strip mall and needed more space. But it was really um, the uh, the second and third incarnations after we moved out of the health food store where I was just in the kitchen all the time. And dishes were incredibly elaborate. Uh, and they, they really they got too elaborate for its setting, which is also <laughs> what prompted us to move to the city. Um, they... They weren't as vegetable forward as veg is. Uh, they were more based on, um, you know, kind of, we did a lot of tofu, did a lot of seitan back then and a little bit of tempeh. Sure. So we, there was protein in almost everything. Um, you know, veg is very vegetable forward. V Street is flavor forward with like an ethnic direction. Um, but it was, you know, it was, it was more, you know, kind of like protein starch veg sure. but with, you know, all vegan ingredients. Well, but I think, I think the cooking was, you know, still the same, even though it did evolve. Well, I think like you said, the same brain. So, you know, I, I think I'm curious in terms of like, it seems like since I, I had never been to Horizons, I was just curious. It was more of a casual setting though, from the sounds of it. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the original one was very casual. It was mostly sandwiches with a few entrees, but no, we, we did it as fancy as we could for the suburbs. You know, right. it, it wasn't as sophisticated as the city. And, you know, if you did get too fancy in the suburbs, you, you really ran the risk of, um, kind of like, uh, you know, making it too unapproachable. So you, you know, you have to, the best, the best business successes listen to their guests and they sure. listen to what's going on. You, you don't really get to decide what, what concept you're taking on. Um, and, and you're all your ambiance, the customers decide that for you. Sure. They, they find your direction. And if you listen, you'll be successful. And if you, and if you don't pay attention, it's, it, you're going to have a hard time. Well, you've clearly been listening because uh, Veg is very successful, as is V Street, and you also have Fancy Radish in D.C. And I'm looking at these two books. I've got Veg and V Street right now, and I'm seeing that the release date of these are within a year of each other. Is that correct? No, I think that, that must be, right. be the, another edition. Oh, my out. Yeah, it's goodness. a new edition. I was going to say, my <laughs> mind was like, because I remember um, when I got these and I was looking, I just think they're both so well done. They're packed full of information. Um, I mean, honestly, I didn't need to go to culinary school. I just needed to pick up the veg cookbook and I would have been all set. Like, Aww, it's it's just amazing. There's so much information in here. That, that was the goal was to put forth recipes where we're not just giving you a recipe to follow, but we're teaching you 
technique that we want you to learn for that recipe. And then giving you ideas on like how to make adjustments because just like a professional kitchen where you're, you know, frequently, maybe something didn't come in or maybe the lemons aren't as juicy or, you know, the, the turnips are a little bit bigger than you were planning. So you have to learn how to improvise. So that was intentional too, to sort of anticipate ways that people might need to improvise. I think also what was so wonderful, I mean, we've been doing this a long time, creating new recipes, adjusting recipes from years past, trying to be organized about it. So when we closed down Horizons in July of 2011, a couple months later, November of 2011, we opened Veg. And obviously we had all these recipes. We had had two cookbooks under our belt. There were thoughts and plans to do other cookbooks. And lo and behold, the Veg brand was like, wow, everybody loved it. I mean, William Sonoma reached out to do a sauce line with us. Oh my gosh. Not like, I remember it being like shortly after we opened. I think people just saw this moment where they were like, veg, yeah. So yeah, pat us on the back. We hit the nail on the head with this concept that people liked. And also the experiment came knocking on our door wanting to do a cookbook. And we're like, oh, okay, well, this is real fast. We're just opened veg, but um, sure, let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we have these recipes. We, we've done this before. And they were really interested. And um, Matthew Laurie, the owner, uh, he was really instrumental and really believed in it and really wanted to make it happen. And, you know, we had only done things ourselves. It's self-publishing. And then we um, sure. had the, the, what was it? The the cookbook? <laughs> what was the place in Tennessee, babe? The, um, oh, uh, book publishing company. Book publishing company that had bought our books, our Horizons books, after we had self-published. Okay. And distributed them. Um, but yeah, Matthew came along and, and he really liked the idea. And he had this wonderful editor working with him named Kara Bedick, who we're still friendly with to this day. And it was wonderful working with them from start to finish. And, um, you know, it, it was just this amazing uh, moment for us to create a pe- like kind of a piece of art for us. Yeah. I mean, it really was designed to reflect the spirit of this new restaurant that we were so proud of. And I mean, we were just really, really, I don't know. It was like pinch me because it was, it was so well embraced by everyone, by our guests, by our staff. I mean, it was just a great moment and it quickly became sort of for us, the, the concert t-shirt, right? It was this beautiful <laughs> I love that. that people could take home and, and be so proud of like their dining experience and then try to do it at home. Yeah. Cause again, our mission is to try to get this food in front of as many people as possible and to, to know that people who might be struggling to keep their, you know, their, their vegan diet who are out in a pocket of this country or the world who might not have access to great ideas or great, you know, restaurants where they can go and get fed. Um, that was the goal was to be able to get this food out and, and, you know, reach more people. Yeah. And when we look at this book, so like I said, it's like an education for me. The best part I love is that you start out with these basics. You've got stocks in here. You teach people how to make stocks and spice blends. I'll tell you that I've made the Montreal steak spice blend and I just keep it in my cupboard. I just use it on different things. Oh, that stuff is great, isn't it? It's amazing. So love that. And that's sort of the best part about this book. Well, I think it's used on, I don't know if I used it on what recipe it's actually used for in the book anymore because I Uh, made it. Tofu. Yeah. I think it's on the pan seared tofu. See, like I made it once for that and then I just kept it and I make it for other things now. So that's, you're sort of offering these um, multi-purpose things, at least in my brain, that I'm able to 
use for different stuff. Um, now you guys talk about the dirt list in here, you know, and uh, talk about the dirt list and sort of your inspiration behind that. And I mean, that's what veg is as far as I can see, you know? Yeah. Veg is a, veg is a big dirt list. Um, it's uh, <laughs> it, it was the original inspiration. So um, now I don't know if you know Casey out at Lancaster farm fresh. I don't. Um, no, uh-uh. Okay. But great I know, guy. I know so, Lancaster farm fresh though. I, I've heard of that for sure. Casey uh, is the guy who runs it. Uh, what's Casey's last name, hon? Do you know? Sprack? I don't know if I'm saying Casey that. Sprack, yeah. So he uh, he was a vegan, straight edger. And um, he what he did was actually genius. So you have all these farms out in Lancaster, which has some of the most incredible growing soil in the country. Um, and, you know, just like typical Philadelphia, we don't know what we have right outside the country. You know, we, we have like the Poconos and we have Lancaster and for decades, they, they no one ever really thought about these things or took them seriously, but Lancaster's growing soil is absolutely fantastic. And you have a lot of farms that can get their produce out. They have trucks, they have uh, a distribution network of some kind that they can get their vegetables out to the city. Well, what he did was go around to all the little tiny farms that couldn't really get their stuff out there. And he made this like collection of farms that you know he'd go around to the farm say what do you have coming up this week okay let me get that on my order sheet let me get that out to the restaurants or or the csa boxes which i thought was just incredibly genius um and it's been an economic game changer out there for everybody um so when we were at horizons he um he came down and introduced himself brought me this box of produce that literally changed everything for me and i i can't I can't over-exaggerate this because when I, when I looked at this box of produce, um, everything changed. There was this fennel in there that ate like candy. Um, there was an eggplant in there, I remember, that when I cut it open, it was pure white and it, there's water beads. You know, We talked about this yeah. on the cooking demo. Um, just the fresh, beautiful produce right out of the ground. It was really along the lines of when you thought you knew you – when you thought you knew you – let me try that one more time. When you <laughs> thought you knew a tomato and yet someone gives you a beautiful heirloom tomato and you eat that sure. and it changes you and said, I've never eaten a tomato till now. And here I am cooking vegetables my whole life. And yet this transformed us so much that we literally had to open veg. Veg was born the day I looked in that produce wow. box and the dirtless was born the day I saw that and said, okay, this stuff was picked yesterday. I'm looking at it now. And that was the dirt list at that moment. So it was, uh, that's, that was really when it all happened right there. I love that. I love that. And it all changed. I mean, you guys, I'm, I'm assuming you're changing with the seasons or is your menu, your menu is, does your menu shift or does it uh, stay as it is? Well, you know, there's uh, three sections to the menu and the first and last section don't change all that much. Now, a few components of them change. Uh, with the seasons, such as what we might put with our portobello carpaccio, what we might serve with our maitake mushroom. Okay. It's still going to be maitake mushroom in the center of the plate. And what we surround it with will change a little bit. But the dirt list changes. I mean, it used to change every single day. Um, but now it changes. It could change twice a week. It could change once every two weeks, depending on what's in and how well the dish is working, how it's received. Um, you know, there's some vegetables that once people get enough of them, it's enough, you know, like spring onions. It's like, okay, <laughs> two weeks of spring onions. I think that's quite sure. enough of those and, uh, and you want to keep it moving, but yeah, that the dirt list is really at the moment. It's what we call a sense of time and place that you'll know where and when you are. I mean, you know, where you are, what part of the world, because we're not eating, you know, lemons and avocados, um, on the dirt list, but 
you will know when you are. Um, if you know you're eating asparagus, you know it's May. If you're eating corn, you know it's July. And if you're eating uh, butternut squash, you know it's October. So the dirt list is like our calendar. I love that. I love that. I, one of my favorite recipes, just to shout it out, is the spiced little carrots with the chickpea sour sauerkraut and puree. I remember looking at that and being like, sauerkraut puree, I don't want to, but I'm going to try it. <laughs> um, and I was blown away. And then I've mentioned this to you guys before. I was at Veg once and I had um, a horseradish ice cream. And I was sitting with David. I think he was with me. And we were both like, this is going to be the worst thing ever. <laughs> and not yeah. because... not. Uh, clearly it wasn't because we were at veg. We knew we were going to be surprised, but horseradish, we were just like, really though? And it blew our minds. It was so good, you know? Well, you that was the same thing I was talking about. Like I didn't go to culinary school. So I approached pastry with more of a savory, like cooking understanding of it. It's more about flavor to me. And I think one of the things that I wanted to do again, to complement this idea with veg, when we were getting ready to sort of, you know, really focus on the dirt list and focus on the vegetables, I thought, well, with pastry, I'm going to focus on the fruit and also the veg. So, yes. so many vegetables, when you think about it, carrot cake, sweet potato pie, it's like, it's not a big jump right there. So if you look at different vegetables and just the plant kingdom, right, just look at it all of it understand that some of these things are beautiful ways to be enhanced with a little sugar. And that was the idea. I learned that from Rich too. That when you use salt, you do it not to make something salty, but to make the flavor pop. Sure. So for me, with with baking, it was like I'm going to use sugar not to make it sweet, but to make the flavor pop. Right. So same kind of thing with horseradish. If you think about it, that delicious kind of spiciness, um, some creaminess. If you're using the fresh horseradish, um, if you caramelize it like a different kind of root, I mean, you're going to bring out natural sugars. Um, it actually kind of reminds me of an early ice cream I made back at Horizons in Willow Grove, which was a white pepper ice cream. Uh, um, you know, it's David like, just jumped I, out of his seat practically, just so you know, he got so excited. <laughs> I used to do a bittersweet chocolate tart with a raspberry coulis, but, um, but the cool thing was that I did this white pepper ice cream. It was delicious. Uh, I mean, I, I would serve it today. So, um, I guess that was the thing for me. It was to sort of take that brain, reset it. And be smart about it. Um, now, I understand that you're you're not just cooking to people like you guys. You know, like you have a broad range, so you can't make it too crazy. Um, so I, I try to be very thoughtful when I'm kind of creating a dish and recognizing like just when to push the buttons. And so, you know, just uh, ice creams and sorbets are a great place to do that because you're getting a scoop. It's not like your whole dish. So you get a little variety and that's a good place for us to have a little fun and push the boundaries a little bit. Now I will tell you that um, we tried a black olive ice cream and that was not good. (laughs) Well, I mean, and anyone who gets the veg cookbook, you'll see you guys love your olives. You love your olives. There's a whole section about olives, which I am here for. Yes, I'm here for. Um, and before we move on from the desserts, though, I do want to talk about the there is that veg forward element in them. And you've got the beetroot pots to creme and the summer corn custard with blackberries and hazelnuts, sweet potato turnovers and sweet kraut. So I mean, you really do give us that in this book. There's a nice variation in dessert land of sort of like stuff that is, you know, you're you're the sort of traditional sweet that you might find. But then there, you're also giving the vegetables in, which I think is lovely. Yeah, that. Sweet potato and uh, turnovers with the sweet kraut and cream. Um, that's a little daring because I'm using red cabbage to make that sweet kraut. Yeah. Um, 
But, you know, again, it's just something that I love about the texture of that crunch of the, you know, like half cooked cabbage, like sort of half braised and uh, we deglaze it. I recommend like a sweet Riesling. Um, you know, it's it's not about making desserts healthy, because I think a lot of the early vegan cookbooks, the early vegan baking was all about, you know, only use whole wheat flour, only Ugh. sweeten with sucanot. Um, <laughs> you know, if you're going to put... Don't don't use butter. Use a banana. It was like what? Uh, <laughs> uh, I, that got... doesn't really. That's not what. That wasn't my guiding star. Uh, it was always about flavor and texture first, and then you know it just so happens that I was inspired by cabbage. You know? yeah, <laughs> so yeah, so that's the deal. Well, no, that's you guys say the best thing in here. You say you know people eat dessert not because they're still hungry, but because it's delicious. You say right in the book, it's an indulgence, you know. And I think if more people sort of respect that approach to it, we could all sort of give ourselves a little more room to enjoy dessert. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not meant to be an every night thing. It's supposed to be something that's special and a treat and and, and indulgent, and it's, you should enjoy it. Um, but that's just it too. People say that all the time about vegan desserts. Oh well, so it's healthy then, right? And I'm like, I don't, <laughs> I, I can't answer that question anymore. You know, when I first started, those were synonymous: health food and vegetarian food were oh, almost synonymous. And that it took a lot of work to break that down. Um, and, and again, that's why we, you put forward this image of like, hey, we're just you know we're a restaurant. You know, and it didn't help that I was inside of a health food store. By the way, that was absolutely that was crushing because people oh, constantly came up to me to cure them. <laughs> oh my god! I was like, I was like the food medicine guy. Yep, <laughs> yep. The guru. That's why uh, I had to get out of there. Yeah, we got. So I'm telling you, like I said, approachable, educational. You taught me what salsify is. Didn't know what that was at all. Oh, that's great stuff. But tell people about it a little bit for us. Uh, salsify is a. It's one of those vegetables. Uh, you know, you've seen it in the supermarket. It comes in a kilo bag. It never comes in by by the pound. So it's two point two pounds of, and it looks like a bag of sticks. And of course, um, you know, this is hugely popular in Europe as are like leeks, you know, leeks are eaten as a main course in Europe, but for some reason here, they're just another onion. Um, Salsify never really caught on in this country, but what you do is you, you peel these sticks um, and underneath is this beautiful white flesh that I would, I put the flavor somewhere between like, uh, oh boy, uh, parsnip, artichoke, celery root. Um, But the, the texture is just amazing. Well, it's uh, and and now I just learned how to say it. Salsify. Salsify. Yeah. I was thinking salsify, like salsa. Um, oh, that's how they say it in Georgia. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's great. In the book, you even give the parsnips as a substitution. So I love that you're helping. Yeah. People. Well, you know, they have a great starch in them. You know, like for instance, if you um, take something like a sunchoke or turnip, you know, you you open it up and you say, "Well, that's a beautiful flesh. Let me whip that up." into something like as a starch, it doesn't have that body. It's, it's very grainy and watery and um, it's going to let you down, but something like, um, you know, a parsnip or celery root is actually very rich with starch and you can get a really luxurious mash out of that. Salsify is the same way. It does have a great starch in it. The flavor is just incredible. It's just difficult to work with because sometimes these sticks are a little bit on the small side. It's a lot of peeling Um, and cooking it. I mean, if you get really fresh stuff, just saute it with a little bit of oil and salt and pepper. It's delicious. You can roast it, um, and you can boil it and whip it up into a soup. The flavor is just fantastic. It's just one of the most, I think, unsung vegetables out there. Well, I'm going to have to, uh, find some and try this recipe. It's a, 
whip salsify with red wine and truffle jus. Mm. Um, that sounds fancy. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like something I might get at Veg. Love <laughs> Veg, of course. But then now we're talking about V Street. We're going to move into that. What I love about V Street is it's very clear you guys have global inspiration, right? You pull on inspiration from all over the world. Um, and V Street really hits that home in terms of just taking, I feel like, what you've learned on your travels and giving it to your patrons in the restaurant. But also, again, you've allowed us an opportunity to cook these things Home. Yeah, the you know V Street's inspiration was um, really just born out of our love for for really unsung um, global flavors. You know, our right away we knew we we weren't going to put another falafel on there. Um, we didn't want to do something. Sure. We weren't going to do hummus. We weren't going to do something that was very widely kind of known as as um, ethnic food. Um, we also weren't going to just make a vegan version of something you get somewhere else in the world. We wanted to use these global flavors to inspire us. Now, before anyone even knew who Anthony Bourdain was, Kate and I were doing this like 15 years ago when we travel. <laughs> we always, you know, we, we took our time to relax and have some fun and all that. But, you know, we always took at least a day or two or to get out into the grittier real parts of wherever we were. We told, um, you know, the taxi driver or the we asked someone at the hotel, where, where would you eat? Take us there. And, and we, this was like our thing. This is what we always did to understand these food cultures, not just to eat the Americanized versions because, you know, everyone knows like Chinese food, probably one of the biggest culprits of Americanizing um, an incredibly complex and widely varied cuisine. Uh, Japanese is also, also like this too. Um, Japanese, I don't know, in, in some instances might even be worse than Chinese with what they've done to a lot of it in this country. But when you really, we run to, we wanted to see what they're really eating. You know, now granted, this is sometimes dangerous and it's also risky. You know, we're, we were still plant-based at this time and, you know, you have to find the things you can eat. So right. it takes a lot right. of research, a lot of question asking and a lot of, you know, quite frankly, yes. risking, you know, Anthony <laughs> Bourdain glorified this whole eating at street carts and all this stuff. You can get really sick doing this. Yeah. In a lot of places. Yeah. I was wondering. It's it's glorified in in so many ways, but it's incredibly risky. So there's a lot of you know we had to be really careful, but we love getting out there. And what we wanted to do was bring that spirit back to this new kind of concept that we have. You know, we didn't want to just do another noodle bar. We didn't want to do an Israeli kind of sandwich stand. We didn't want to do you know like another taco truck. We wanted to bring all those great flavors together in a way that could be a cohesive menu. You know, not that you would eat like something Mexican, something Peruvian, something you know, kind of um, Bulgarian, then get a stomachache. We wanted the menu to flow, but we wanted the spirit of all those flavors to to kind of like dictate this menu for us. I feel like um, it's walking into V Street is like just seeing a, a copy of your passport, essentially. I mean, yeah, and that, <laughs> right? this book is sort of the same thing. It's just a jaunt around the globe with you guys from Indian, Mexican, Korean, Japanese, Vietnamese, Middle Eastern, like there's everything in it. When, when you were putting this book together... I mean, do you have this? It's inspired by V Street and also recipes that are at V Street. Are there recipes in this that have just been, we're sitting around for the longest time and you're like, great, these finally have a home. We can put them in a book. Oh, yeah, well, a lot of them were at Veg already, but they, right. they weren't working there. Like the funky kimchi stew was at Veg. Uh, the original dandan noodles were actually done with zucchini at Veg. Um, they, a lot of them started at veg, but they didn't quite work there. But veg was becoming fancier. Um, and again, it goes back to what I said earlier, where the, your customers are going to make part of your ambiance. 
Um, you can decorate a restaurant any way you want. People come in in tank tops and flip flops. Well, then you're back to your your Margaritaville. But um, <laughs> they were coming in. They were they were celebrating. They were dressing up, and it becomes part of your ambiance. And uh, and it became a date night place, and and it became fancier. And these kind of really bold ethnic flavors were starting to stick out like a sore thumb on the menu. So we're like, we need we need a place to focus on these flavors. We need to get you know, that original kind of veg, that veg, the edge and veg was supposed to be about these really like stepping outside the comfort zone flavors. Um, and we needed a place to really celebrate those. I think if you look at V Street as sort of how our, our culinary world has evolved, it's such a good marker because back in the days, I mean, you know, Rich mentioned that his first menu had like 40 items on it and a lot of them were sandwiches um, and it was inside a natural food store. So, so much of it, it's like the cooking and the dishes themselves, the preparation, Rich's mindset and his confidence level and who he was cooking for in that space. And then shifting over time, eventually coming downtown, getting a liquor license. Um, it's just, it's really been quite a journey. And we've tried to pay attention to ourselves, to the people we're cooking for, and then the world around us and really ride that wave. And obviously, like we're, we're going through a new crest of a new wave right now. Sure. Uh, with V Street... I think we people don't always read the forewords and the intros on cookbooks. Sure. But this was a tough one for us. You know, we were doing this because it was our passion. It was an outlet for us. These were dishes that the restaurant came from this sort of, you know, wanting to do this complement to veg. Our goal was to prove at this point that not only could you do vegetables in this beautiful sort of fine dining atmosphere, but vegan food can be very versatile. You can package it in a whole other way. That's not just going to be like the health food store, or the food truck. We wanted to do something new. This street food bar concept came up and it was like, this is a way to do serious cooking. That's really fun with a great bar menu. I mean, the cocktail section of the V street book is really important. Um, but one thing that we, you know, we were mindful of when we were creating the restaurant, training the staff, putting forth the cookbook was this idea of like, well, what is ethnic food? And are we qualified to talk about ethnic food if it's not Polish, German, and Russian, and Irish? Because sure. those are our... What we learned was our comfort zone was sort of not saying that we're going to do this authentic Hungarian language because we've never been to Hungary and we're not Hungarian, but we are going to learn everything we can about it and do our vegan version of it based on our culinary brain. This idea that we, be, we, we almost saw it as our mission based on what we've done already with vegan cooking to sort of take an attempt to translate different cultures of the world, different dishes, and, and put forth a vegan example. Not a substitution, not something that we're saying this is going to be an exact replica, but we're inspired by it and we want to give it a shot and come check it out. And that's what we've been doing at the restaurant and then what we did in the cookbook. And I think what we learned is that at, as vegans, you know, you're, you're, you're learning about different cultures and their food from a slightly disadvantaged place. We're not going to be able to taste everything. Um, but Rich and I saw it as this sort of challenge to say, well, you know what, we're going to apply all the techniques, the culinary brain that we've built over the years, and we're going to tackle it and we're going to give it a shot and we're going to learn something from it, you know? And, and I think it's been a really, really cool journey. Well, and I appreciate that you guys, I mean, you've put all that in a book so that we can learn from it then is the best part. I mean, you've really got, you teach us how to shop at different markets in this book. 
So you've got shopping lists, essentially, for the different types of markets to go to, which is just so helpful when you're trying to tackle something like all of these global recipes, you know? That was an idea from our publishers, actually. We worked with William Morrow on this one because, um, again, Carabetic, she she had moved along and we were like, we want to work with you again. Sure. So uh, that was a neat experience because a different publisher had a different sort of vision and, and, you know, it was a different restaurant. So we held their hand and said, let's do it. And um, there's a very different aesthetic to the photography. Um, but yeah, the, that market section is, is pretty cool because I think that was something we learned over time that we're reaching a broad audience and not everybody is going to have this amazing sort of Asian market on Washington Avenue that Rich and I have in our backyard. And um, so, you know, it was sort of like, how do you shop? How do you replace and, uh, you know, what kind of questions when you're reading something that doesn't have ingredients in your language, like how do you go and do some research, um, especially because you want to keep your pantry vegan. So, yeah, that was it was a nice touch, a good recommendation by them. Well, in the market, the market suggestions, you've also got the travel journals throughout the book with sort of insights to the places and the markets that you visit, which I think is really helpful as well. That gives us a nice personal touch. You guys lending your travel catalog essentially to the book, like letting people know firsthand how it was when you were there and all of that. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, we wanted to try to bring that experience into it because if not, it's just a collection of recipes, yeah, you know, no, I think it's the the best gift you could have given us. I mean, both restaurants having a book um, and also horizons. I love from this book, the jerk mushroom trumpets are my favorite, but then I flipped when I got the book and you had the five o'clock Szechuan pretzels in there. Oh, those oh, are those. great. Uh, I'm obsessed with them and uh, I've been able to make them a few times. I have to make them when I know people are coming over there or else I'll eat them all on my own. Um, <laughs> and David's obsessed with the fried pickles with the spicy ketchup. So, I mean, we definitely cook from here and the other one. And I just, again, I love it that it's so approachable. I mean, that's the best thing when you, you guys are, you're geniuses. You are, you're geniuses in the kitchen. (laughs) And so when we're able to take it as, as a home cook, take things from people like you and actually learn how to cook in our own homes from books like this, it just really is such a tremendous gift. So I thank you. Oh, well, it's a labor of love, man. Uh, Speaking of, Love. <laughs> what? I'm curious. When Kate and Rich, do you, is there any junk food that you eat? I've just been wondering about the two of you. Is there ever something like, what's your, is there a vice in food land where you're like, you know what? I just need that right now. Oh, man. So many of them. Okay. I, mean, I, then, I love French fries. All right. Um, <laughs> I didn't know if there would be anything where you were like, you know, what's like, well, I mean, you know, I guess you also have to define junk food because I think so often it can uh, bridge over into comfort food and what makes you feel good. You know, I, I, I hate classic junk food that's full of ingredients that are chemicals and artificial coloring. Uh, I don't eat stuff like that. Um, you know, it, but I, I will eat like, uh, you know, like different kinds of chips or, sure. or French fries or, you know, um, vegan fast food sandwiches. Um, I love stuff like that. I, I could eat it every day of my life, but um, it's not a good idea. <laughs> right. <laughs> Kate, do you have a junk food that's a go-to for you? One thing that I always need stocked in our house are back-to-nature peanut butter cookies. Ah. They're like little sandwich peanut butter cream cookies. Nice. Like that's something that I feel like I'd be very sad if I couldn't have them anymore. And you know, I, I like need one with coffee in the afternoon. If I, I love <laughs> does it. That, does that count? I mean, it's, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I love cookies that like, but you know, I, I like plain classic chocolate chip cookies and then I love these cookies. Um, 
I agree with Rich about French fries. Love fries. I love nachos. I mean, oh, I oh, yeah. love nachos. I'm, and that's a, that's a tricky one because you know different cheese substitutes. I guess they run the gamut. But honestly, you can get that creaminess from refried black beans, and then like delicious avocado. And there's plenty of vegan sour cream. So like, I love nachos. Oh, listen, Fresh on top. My God, I mm. would be slathering my nachos in that rutabaga fondue from Veg if oh yeah if I were to. Make there you go. That's not a bad guys. idea for B Street. Yeah, hey, get a little uh, rutabaga queso. Not a bad <laughs> idea. I, I do want to ask about, Kate, you mentioned the cocktails before I wrap this up. You mentioned yeah. the cocktails uh, at B Street. I just want you to elaborate on that a little bit because when I – uh, when we did the first episode we did with you guys for the vegan roadie, I was fortunate to sit with you at the bar and you made something for me in a Turkish cup. I can't remember what it was in the coffee cup. It was a Turkish drink, I believe. Um, Welcome at the bazaar. Yeah. Uh, I, remember. I mean, I just remember there's such a passion in creating cocktails with you. Um, so I'm guess I'm curious how that translates into the book for V street. Well, I think, you know, as a pastry chef, I can also go ahead and throw another hat at myself and call myself a mixologist. I didn't go to school for it. Um, I can't make a sex on the beach like Rich can. <laughs> um, I guess I could have sex on the beach, but I couldn't make it. There you go. <laughs> um, anyways, I, I approach cocktails the same way. I'm not thinking about it from the classical traditional, like I'm going to reinvent, you know, the Manhattan and, you know, um, I look at it like, okay, this is kind of uh, the inspiration that I have, this is my ingredient. How do I enhance it? How am I going to make it more delicious? So at veg, the idea was always like super clean and in, and incorporating smart vegetables or herbs or fruits in a, in a fresh way and keeping it really, really tight with V street. It was like, wow, there are so many dishes all over the world of cool street food. There are so many beverages that are really, really fun. So it, the idea there was to hone in on different drinks um, the textures, you know, some of them being really thick and creamy, especially when you're going for like Southeast Asian drinks where it's a super hot climate and there's a lot of sugar. Um, uh, it, it, the idea there was sort of like take a beverage and then figure out what would enhance it, what alcohol would make sense, not only geographically, but like texturally and flavor wise. Um, so for the locum at the bazaar, the idea there was um, to take Turkish coffee. And to take that sort of bitter and sweet flavor with the sort of high aromatics um, and, and to find a way that we could make that like just, you know, an overloaded sensory experience. Um, and one of the things we did at V Street was to definitely not shy away from the sweet. Uh, I personally don't really like sweet cocktails, but the idea there was like so many of the fun street foods have a lot of, you know, they're like milkshakes in some ways. So the idea was to sort of embrace that, run with it, run with the big, bold flavors a lot of our dishes were spicy. A lot of our dishes were, we had some more fried food. We didn't have any fried food on the menu at Veg. And here we, we found a home for it. Um, another of my favorites is the Colonel Mustard. Um, th that one is fantastic. Again, super in your face. It was like, we're going to make a, a dish and we're going to caramelize onions to make the syrup for this one. We're going to put mustard in it. Um, but it's the best thing that you could ever eat with the langoche. So it was, it was a really, really fun opportunity to just, have more fun than anybody was having behind the bar the the sweets as well at v street are just another it just it's it's a game changer in the world because again you're you're going veggie forward as usual and i've made the sweet potato arancini and obsessed with those obsessed nice. do you That's guys have fun. those at the restaurant i or is that no, one for the book i mean we 
we had them on the menu at one point, um, but we the restaurant there is like so tiny that uh, the, the limits that we have with our and we're, we were open all the time. We were open, you know, 14 shifts a week. Um, so with prep and space, it was sort of like deviating between the lunch menu, the dinner menu, the brunch menu on the weekends. Um, I think I, I had to cap it at like three to four dishes at any given time. So we had to be very selective about like what we were running at any moment. So they, they only had a short appearance on the actual menu, but they are tasty. All right. Maybe they'll come back one day. They just might. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, so in all these travels, can you guys give me your top three favorite places that you've been? Vietnam. Rich, what else? Greece. Greece. Vietnam and Greece. Brazil. Yeah, Brazil. I love it. I love it. When where's Singapore was cool though. Oh yeah. Singapore is really cool. Where's a where's a place on your list? What's the next place on your list? Well, ironically enough, last week we were supposed to be in China. <laughs> that was our spring trip. Uh, we were um, we were actually going to really dive deep into some Sichuan food. Uh, so we're going to Chengdu, China, and to Taiwan. Uh, been high up on our list for years, and we were so excited to finally go. Uh, but we had to cancel it because of you know, well, sure. you know. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's really high up. And then um. What else, son? I mean, we need to get to Scandinavia someday soon. We hear that's pretty well, cool. We had an, a really, I, I'm regretting not saying Morocco because that was an amazing. Oh, trip. Morocco was amazing. Um, high up on our list is also to get to India. And um, we had to do a connection uh, recently through Abu Dhabi. And I think that that was an awesome experience that was like, man, we need more time here. So the Middle East, different parts of the Middle East. But you know what? It's like, we have been so fortunate to travel um, when we charge anything at the restaurants, which is so much. <laughs> uh, we get a lot of airline miles and we've been able to use them and see so much of the world and connect with people and their cultures and as much of their food as we can possibly eat. And it's been an eye opening and very humbling experience to to spend that time. And um, it's wonderful and it's enriched our lives so much. So, you know, I don't know how much travel we'll do in the future, but like it's it has just reaffirmed for us just how important good food is to connect with people and to enjoy life. So happy for what we've had so far. Hope that we'll, we'll get out there and and continue to do that. I'm thankful for all of your travel because I feel like we benefit from it, from everything you've (laughs) written and you've brought into the restaurant. So, um, every, everyone thanks you, especially the community in Philly. I know that, um, let's move on to a little rapid fire question. If we may, um, okay, sure. so I'm going to do five for rich, five for Kate, five for rich, five for Kate. So we're going to start with rich, rich. If you, All right. if you weren't a chef, what would your dream job be? Offer. <laughs> yes. Golfer. Uh, what's a, Who's a celebrity you would love to cook for? Pete Townsend. All right. Midnight snack. Oh boy. Um, ha, ha, ha. midnight snack, uh, vegan turkey and cheese with vegan mayonnaise on white bread. Oh, unexpected. Baked or fried? Baked. And culinary trend you would like to see disappear? Meat. There you go. Kate, (laughs) on to your five. Food on a skewer or a tiny spoon? Skewer. Hangover cure. either pho, pho, like Rich's pho. Ah, which is delicious. Oh uh, you guys can get that at V Street. It's at V Street, right? Yeah. Oh, so yeah. good. Would you rather never cook again or never taste again? 
Oh shit. They're <laughs> <laughs> not separate experiences. Um Okay, never cook again so long as Rich can cook. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, super salad. Shit. <laughs> I got the easy ones, I think. What time of year is it? Uh, <laughs> salad. Salad. All right, and Brad Pitt or Bradley Cooper? Bradley Cooper, because Rich looks like him. I there you go. There you go. <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry. Bradley Cooper looks like Rich. There you go. Oh, I love it. All right, Rich, on to your next five. Okay. Brad Pitt or Bradley Cooper? Brad Pitt. <laughs> uh, favorite season to cook? Summer. Favorite kitchen tool? Um. Oh, my goodness. Blender? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's mine. I think that's a good answer. Uh, hot sauce or barbecue sauce? Hot sauce. And first job in food? First job in food? Yep. Uh, I guess it would be... Uh, Oh my goodness! At the You're a pizza delivery guy, right? Oh yeah, I delivered pizzas. Yeah, there you there go. There you go. Uh, well, Kate, I think we know we're on to your next five, uh, and I think we know your first job in food, maybe. But Kate, first job in food? I was a hostess at Stazi Milano in Jenkintown, Pennsylvania. Oh, we didn't know that. I thought maybe it was as a hostess at Horizons, but there we well, go. Well, that was my second job. This, so that my only other restaurant job All was right. my first restaurant job. Uh, favorite ingredient to cook with. Turmeric. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mints or chewing gum? Oh, God. I don't know. Gum, because you can blow bubbles. <laughs> breakfast for dinner or dinner for breakfast? Dinner for breakfast all the way. All right. And waffles or pancakes? Pancakes. There you go. All right. <laughs> Moving on. Thank you for playing with me. That was very fun. Yeah, that was fun. Do we get a parting gift? Do we get like a prize? <laughs> One. I'd say I'd cook for you next time I guys see next time I see you guys, but I just don't think I could handle yeah. it. I would be so, so anxious and nervous to cook for oh you guys. Oh my god, that would be amazing. Wouldn't uh, that be great? <laughs> um, now I've got one more thing to do, and we're gonna close it out with this. Uh it's a little uh something we're calling a book brag. Book brag. So I just want you guys to tell me. Each of you, and it can be about one book or all four, but what's one thing, your book brag, the one thing you're most proud about in terms of uh, being authors of cookbooks? For me, with any individual book or all of our books together, if someone's going to buy a little package of them, I think it's really just been trying to give people interesting and approachable recipes that they can do that, you know, kind of give them a taste of our restaurants. Um, Our goal is always to try to reach beyond the people that can come and visit our restaurants in person. So I guess that's the the thing for me is that, you know, we've been able to achieve that. And uh, when you read a great review online or when you receive an email or the best is when somebody visits you from like, let's say Michigan, when somebody's like, I finally got to Philly. I've been cooking from your book for years and now I'm here in the restaurant, like, oh my God. And it's even better. I mean, that's really the most satisfying thing because you can connect with the guests in the dining room a lot and have your fans and regulars over the years. who you just love, they become part of your family. But when this like semi stranger comes in and they've known you from a distance and they're just like so connected, it's a really wonderful feeling. You're just like, oh my God. Wow. Thank you. We did it. Awesome. That's great. Rich, what's your book brag. Well, uh, book brag. Okay. So, um, we were in, uh, Nashville last, I think early summer and we ate in this restaurant cause I had this chicken fried cauliflower I had to try. 
And um, they had this, you know, like a lot of restaurants these days, they had a little library, a little bookcase set up. And I'm looking up there. I'm like, no way. They had the veg cookbook up there. Yes. <laughs> I ran over to it. I'm taking selfies with it. And then, <laughs> you know, I just can't believe it. It also happened to us. Um, we were at a restaurant in Miami. We had emailed ahead. Like, you know, we often do. If we want to try the restaurant, but there's really very little to eat, we ask, you know, hey, do you have a few other vegan versions so we can experience what you do? And um, yeah, they said, yeah. So they knew who we were coming in and they actually had the book there. They brought it out for us to Aww. sign. So I think seeing the book at other places, um, it's, I mean, you know, you got to remember, I started this before there was, there was no such thing as a celebrity chef when I started this. Sure. So when you get that kind of attention, it's like, you know, most chefs are not equipped to deal with that. We're, we're cooks, you know, we, you know, and then, then to like be treated as something other than that, it's a little... I, you know, the, the chefs that can really easily fall into that rock star thing and jump up on stage and be so comfortable, they, I don't know if they were ever chefs to begin with. They sure. Were, yeah, they were hot shots to begin with who decided to cook maybe. So sure. that wasn't me. You guys, thank you so much for this. Everyone, you can find out more at vegrestaurant.com. Get their books everywhere books are sold. You've got the Veg Cookbook. You've got the V Street Cookbook. Uh, we've also got the Two Horizons Cookbook. So you've got plenty to cook from, from the masterminds of Rich and Kate. Now, I said vegrestaurant.com. Where else can people find you guys? Well, vstreetfood.com and fancyradishdc.com. You can follow us on Instagram. You can also connect directly with Rich and his awesome Instagram, which is Chef Richard Landau. Oh, yes. And uh, you guys have to follow uh, his account because he's got lots of great stuff that pops up on there. And what about, can you talk a little bit before we get off the line? Just give us a little uh, taste of what's in line for the new book. I know there's a new book in the works. Well, yeah, this book is inspired by uh, kind of what we were talking about earlier about the the basic process of going out to your garden and bringing in vegetables and cooking with them. So it's like this kind of CSA kind of to-do book. Um, We're going to be focusing on, you know, eating your food truth, eating what you are able to do, um, what you're able to cook, what you're able to gather, and, you know, finding your farm. You know, some people live in the suburbs. You have a nice little backyard plot where you're gardening and growing some vegetables. Well, let, we'll give you some ideas on what you can do with them. Some people, their farm is their CSA box and they pick it up and they pull out all these weird green leafy weeds. And well, we're going to, we're going to show you, you know, some ideas of how you can cook those. Uh, some people, they live in a high rise and they might have a little window box of herbs or, or, or whatever it may be. Some people, their their farm is their local supermarket and the produce section there. Wherever your farm is, finding that farm in your mind, um, connecting with it, learning to pick out the best vegetables and finding really, you know, unexpected ways to prepare them. And, um, and along with some tips of like listening to your produce, not literally, because when produce <laughs> starts talking, I just want to put this out there. That's bad and you need help. But... <laughs> Um, but listening to the qualities of the produce and, and understanding what they can do for you, how not to cook them. Uh, because, you know, we've been doing this such a long time. I mean, if we can help and we can get into your kitchen with you without being there to help with some of the stuff we've learned over the years, that's what we're here for. I mean, just to, just to give back. And I think we need more of that in the world, especially now of people sharing ways that we can all help each other. With, uh, with getting through this and then getting through life and, and becoming healthier and eating more vegetables. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for uh, just offering all of these tidbits of wisdom and all these books for these home cooks to really dive into and um, learn how to cook with vegetables. So it's great. Thank you so much. 
Our pleasure. pleasure. Thanks for having us. Food scientists, that's what they are. They are not just chefs. I mean, like, those brains. It's it's the Colonel Mustard drink? Come on. I mean, I that's my favorite thing about them is they are so wicked smart, but so nice and so friendly and offering advice and help to, to everybody. And I'm just, I'm so excited for their new cookbook. Um, I mean, uh, you know, I'll be able to put our herb garden to better use because right now it's looking a little peaked. Seriously, speaking of them, they're so lovely. I definitely have. I have a, a crush on them as chefs and as a couple. They're just lovely, lovely, lovely. Me I too. got a lo- low crush on them. But 100%, 100%, speaking of books, let's wrap this up. Tell the listeners how they, too, can have their very own copy of Veg for free, as well as many other titles we have up for grabs in our raffle. Well, sweetenly, I will tell you. It's super easy. Um, everyone loves free stuff, uh, and we know you do too. Um, and so from now until November 10th, um, you can enter a raffle to win one of the, the 20 free cookbooks that Dustin was talking about. Um, just simply go to Keep On Cooking Pod on Apple Podcasts and rate review and subscribe and you'll be entered to win you have to do all of them that's rate, so easy review and scrub. it's so easy that's so easy it is but you must rate review and subscribe this really helps our placement on the apple podcast charts we want to we want to hit the charts good, good. and we we need all the help we can get uh as a as a new podcast and as always thank you so much for giving us your time um and listening to keep on cooking it really means the world to us and thank you to everyone who is reposting and sharing the podcast on instagram and and Facebook. Some of you have even shown me the books you are buying after we talk about them on the podcast, and that means everything to me. That's so cool. Yeah, it's so awesome. There was a post last week I loved that was of the Ageless Vegan one, and um, they were just like showing the book and saying they just listen to the pod and I keep getting little bits of those here and there and I I just love it so much so thank you for sharing that with me please share everything with me at the vegan roadie on Instagram or Facebook and you can find out all there is to know about us at veganroadie.com we'll see you next Tuesday keep on cooking and remember it's nice to be nice this has been a muzzy cat production